Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. I'm so excited today to interview someone who's been on my radar for quite a while. Nina Rao is just a beautiful woman who we're diving into a deep conversation about what spiritual practice is, what it means, and how it can change someone's life. I know you're going to absolutely love this episode, and um, I hope it inspires you to dive deeper into what it means to have a spiritual practice, uh, looking, questioning whether the practice you're doing right now is a spiritual practice, and how you can add more spirit, more essence into your practice. How can you bring more awareness into the practices that you're doing so that you can align more deeply with spirit, with essence, and attune to hearing those voices or getting those downloads of intuition and feeling that flow of grace in your life. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. And if you'd like some help, some support, in designing your own unique spiritual practice, something that is taking into consideration your lifestyle, your personality, um, that is personalizing the practices that you're doing in a way that make them most effective and optimize them for you, please reach out uh, for my one-on-one coaching conversations. I have three spots that I'm opening for the summer, and I would love for you to be one of those three people that I bring into my coaching container. So you can find an application on my website and I look forward to connecting with you more there. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I am here today with a beautiful guest. Thank Nina. you. Not That's, you've you. Never, oh, sorry. <laughs> You're my co-host. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> jump the gun. But our guest today is Nina Rao. Who, really? Yes, I'm so happy to have on our show. Wow. She has a voice like an angel, so beautiful. The first time that I came into contact with your kirtan was actually on that CD, the Krishna Das CD, The Flow of Grace with the Hanuman Chalisa, Mm -hmm. when I was trying to learn the Hanuman Chalisa and Uh going through verse by verse. And then we met again doing a retreat during COVID online. You came and so graciously uh, did a little kirtan for our retreat group. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you are coming to speak with us today. Thank you so, so much. It's wonderful. Thank thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. This is really uh, incredible. This is really like a a big one, a big fish. (laughs) A big fish. (laughs) I've just for the listeners at home, because a lot of them, they like to do their Sunday morning uh, practices and uh, they listen to the podcast where they do them and they do their little backbends. I wonder if you could, could you give us a little window into what you're doing because you seem to be doing a kind of asceticism while you are doing the interview. Could you describe what you're doing for those who are listening? Uh huh. Well, um, okay, <laughs> we can talk <laughs> about that. So let me just start by saying that um, my spiritual practice is one that's continually changing, hmm. and I would say it began with a certain amount of clear intention back in um, 
1996 when I met Krishna Das. I mean, I am Indian and I have been involved in spiritual practices ever since I was young. But it wasn't with the understanding that spiritual practice is for our benefit and to benefit all beings. It was just something we did, right? Mm. Right. So when I started um, practicing yoga, actually, back in the you know mid-90s in New York City, and I met Sharon Gannon and Eddie Stern and all the luminaries in that, that realm, is where I was first exposed to chanting in the West, because my yeah. grandfather was a chanter as well, um, to Krishna Das and various others. But it was really with him that I started, that I had this heart-opening experience. And I understood from that moment on that my life had taken a turn. And I, and I understood that this was what I was going to do because the way I felt by doing the chanting was something that I wanted to kind of explore more and more. So that's just taking you back to the beginning of my practice. And for those of who don't know me, um, I do chant. That's what I do. Um, from the Indian tradition, we chant Indian mantras, either in the Veda style. That's something that I've been learning recently or singing kirtan or bhajans or prayers in long form with music. But more recently, two years ago, um, I was really blessed to meet this wonderful lama named Garchan Rinpoche, who lives in Chino Valley in um, Arizona. And I had heard about him when I watched this incredible film called For the Benefit of All Beings, which everyone should watch. It's free. It's on their website, garchan.net. And I've always been very drawn towards Tibetan Buddhism ever since I got on this path of practice, mostly because so much of the reading I've been doing is, you know, Sharon Salzberg, Robert Thurman, <laughs> Joan Halifax, these people who are very involved in, in Buddhism. Joan is, is a Zen Roshi, but still. And, um, because Tibetan Buddhism is so related in the way the practices are done to Indian Hindu tradition, I feel very comfortable in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so meeting Garchan Rinpoche, I, I, I saw the film and I, the, it, what you see Garchan Rinpoche doing all the time is turning the prayer wheel, which is what I'm doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And he does it as his, you know, it's like, it's like, it's just like he's breathing. There's nothing extra going on and I was very drawn to that you know when I saw this in the film and when I went to see him um, two years ago I you know you're in the presence of a being they're talking smiling you know the embodiment of love and compassion he's a really beautiful being and this is what he's doing and he explained and everything that was going on in his institute uh, is for the benefit of all beings, actually. All the prayers that are happening is for our well-being. And he tries to live a long life. He's 87 years old because he's a bodhisattva. So he's doing this for us. Mm -hmm. So I understood, and you know this from the, from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, is that whenever you start your practice, you raise bodhicitta, right? Which is that you wish that all beings 
should also have a compassionate heart and all be and with that compassionate heart we say prayers and those prayers are then dedicated for the benefit of all beings hmm. so it's like a, it's a beautiful circle it's a it's an amazing way to start your practice is to set that intention and then um so i i just found that very beautiful so i was watching him turning the prayer wheel the whole time and in the prayer wheel we were told our microfilm of like millions of prayers that have been recorded that are in there and when you turn the prayer wheel you offer it just like prayer flags blow mm-hmm. in the wind you offer it to all beings right yeah so you know if you're going to be doing nothing and your arm is just kind of hanging out or you're chewing your nails <laughs> why not just turn the wheel you know yeah <laughs> but it felt like i just felt like i i couldn't it felt too pretentious i'm just being very honest with you right now okay mm. yeah. <laughs> and so when i went to the gift store and they were selling the prayer wheels i didn't buy one because i thought you know that's i i just i i don't deserve to have this if i'm not actually going to use it the way it should be used mm-hmm. and then i saw him this year i went back this year and again the same thing very drawn to this prayer wheel just like you know we turn a mala sometimes in our hands like many people walk around doing the mala mm-hmm. there was just something about this where you're offering it to everyone that felt really potent to me And so I walked into the gift shop and the store manager said, "Nina, I want to show you something." And she took the prayer wheel and she put it in my hand. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, mm. I guess I'm buying this prayer wheel." <laughs> so I bought the prayer wheel and I went into the program and Garchan Rinpoche, um I had chanted the Waitara mantra when I was there and he had listened to it. because that is the mantra the, the deity that he is considered an emanation of himself oh, is waitara yeah so he we were having he's very sweet he wanted his picture taken with the band you know so yeah. we were sitting there <laughs> and i thought i'm just going to like use this prayer wheel the whole time i'm here if he's doing it then maybe some of it will rub off on me you know yeah so we were posing for the picture and he says give it to me so i gave him my prayer wheel and i thought oh he's going to bless this like this is amazing he's going to <laughs> so he takes it from me and then he gives me his the oh. one that he was using and then i thought okay so he's giving me some encouragement and then he's going to take it back yeah yeah but he never take... did oh. oh wow so now i feel like it's my responsibility yeah yeah <laughs> to keep it going Beautiful. It's my responsibility and it's like okay all right I'm going to do this I'm going to do this and it's not pretentious and the no. only it's like it's like chanting mantra it's like you know yeah. the great beings like maharaji would say to neem karoli baba would say you know go on chanting your your false ram ram some day you'll get it right <laughs> so in the same way <laughs> you know well, we're going to do this too So that's as the he, long story. Yeah. So as, he, as he runs across the water, he's like, "I don't think I'm getting this mantra. I'm not, I'm not getting it right." <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I I I feel that very deeply. It seems so much a part of our common conversation with so many people that we meet about this feeling of pretension and mm-hmm. what are we allowed to do and. 
by all, you know, I was told very early that what I was supposed to do was be a good Baptist and Mm. um, (laughs) never dance and never sing and just sit very quietly in a cubicle in the the pew, you know, um, as quietly as possible and and not be heard. That's, um, that's, you know, where they, that's what they want from us. If I was being honest <laughs> and true to my indigenous roots, that's what they would, that's what they would seek from me. But, you know, instead, you know, you, you're drawn to things, Yeah. you seek them out and it feels right. And then what well, now, then I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in India doing puja you know, learning <laughs> yeah. how to do puja, and you know, I've got a little sculpture of Veda Vyasa, and I'm doing the thing, and, and I'm like, is this the? Is this? Am I allowed to do this? <laughs> <laughs> when? How do we know when we're allowed to do something? Well, if your teachers, whoever it is that you're learning from, <laughs> suggest that you do it, accept that. But also, just as you know, when you're when you were in India, and even here, like for me, when I walk around on Fifth Avenue in New York City, I walk into a church, and I know that I'm welcome to sit there and be part of the mass or whatever mm-hmm. is going on, right? And puja, the thing about puja, it's just a very beautiful thing, like having your own altar at home, and it's so so personal. You know, this is how we're going to develop a relationship with divinity, divinity that appears to be outside of ourselves, but actually is who we are a part of, right? We just don't Mm. recognize that. And so making the offering in that way is so important to create that and to feed that connection. Mm. And so how do you know whether you can do it? Because spiritual practice as a human being, is what is our dharma. That's what yeah. we should be doing. That's what all the teachings are telling us. Like, if we, especially um, you know, in, in India and Tibet and so on, we have to honor our birth as a human being, as a blessed one, as mm-hmm. one that is a great gift from eons and so many births and so many different levels if you want to, you know, you can listen to, there's so many different ways about talking about this. And for some people, it might just sound so fantastic and out of the realm of possibility <laughs> and its imagination. Fine. Never mind that. Think about then how it feels for you. Do you feel better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so you started by saying that you, you resonate with something. So you have to trust that. If you don't trust mm-hmm. What you're feeling in your own heart, who are you going to trust? Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and I like also that you talk about, you were talking about how your your spiritual practice has evolved as well. And, and I think that's so important because sometimes we get really fixed on a form. Mm-hmm. And as we mature or evolve or grow in our own, you know, personal development or spiritual development, I think it's natural too that the way we're going to connect with the divine or the things that are going to resonate with us will also change and evolve as well, or different practices will come to us at different moments in our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, 
you know, for those of us who were born in this day and age and this place, yeah. you know, where we're not born into a very specific lineage where mm-hmm. you know what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I say this to people all the time. It's like, you have to create your own lineage. Yeah. And, but the thing about lineage is also, is that when you're doing your practices, like you started out as Ashtangis, right? When you mm-hmm. started your yoga practice, probably, yeah. and that's why you end up in, in Mysore. Yeah. I don't know if you're still practicing in that way. You know, probably you've changed a little bit. You've, mm-hmm. you know, modified for your age. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why you might change. You might yeah. meet other teachers, other forms as a woman. You might have a different, you know, so many different reasons, right? Yeah. But you are sticking with practice. Like you've understood that doing the practice is what's going to deepen your relationship with divinity, mm-hmm. with that presence, with the one consciousness, that place that we want to be connected to all the time. So the key is, is that while we might be exposed to all kinds of teachings, it is good that it resonates with us because if it resonates and you'll do it, yeah. but it's also good deepen one's practice with one thing whatever that is for you one or two things add a few things take away a few things now and then but really to dig one deep well is where you're going to have the access to the holy water you know Mm. um yeah so yeah and when i say it, it evolves i would say my relationship to the practice is what has evolved Mm -hmm. and I understand that the more I do practice the more I am confident that the practice is working on my behalf for my Mm well-being and so with that you have more incentive more inspiration to continue with your practice and the more practice you do the deeper you go the more you're able to let go of the obstacles and the things that feel detrimental for you, things that are emotionally upsetting for you, things that take you away from that place of love and peace and equanimity, mm-hmm. which is, as far as I can look, like, what is divinity to you? One has to ask that question, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I, um, I was recently thinking about... Um, how annoyed I was with all these dogs we have. Mm-hmm. And we have to walk these dogs all the time and, and I have to clean up after the dogs all the time. And it's constant um, attention to these dogs and I have to go for walks <laughs> with these dogs and outside all the time. And then I kind of remember like, oh yeah, I used to do yoga practice and um, I don't do that. I have no time for that. And <laughs> And then I'll be walking and I'll be, you know, trying to squeeze the mula bandha and, and pulling in uddiyana bandha and breathing deeply, trying to breathe deep. And then I'm like, while I'm walking, I'm very much aware of, of you know, um, uh, prakriti as material. You know, I'm witnessing things, hearing things, smelling things. And it's it's all just a bit overwhelming. And it's like too much. It's just, it's just too much to experience, you know, um, life. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is exactly why, how, what I liked about yoga in the first place. And I'm just like out walking the dogs. <laughs> and it's, and it's, 
it's a, it's a nice to have because I wouldn't have had that if I had just stayed. Well, I don't mean to put um, uh, bap, the Baptists down, <laughs> but if I, it was very, it's very different way of experiencing divinity and humanity is having being able to rely on these practices to do these things at any time. And even like even when you think you're not doing your practice, well, when you're talking about how you're feeling, I completely understand. Um, you know, the practice just becomes so much a part of you, and you become the practice. Hmm. That so, for example, you know, I because I chant a lot, and if you've chanted, let's say you do a, a like a deep sadhana, you do. Um, all night Sri Ram Jai Ram, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And you wake up in the morning, you have your tea and you feel good about everything. And you start to realize that this mantra is like just going on inside of you all the time. You know, and it's it's the weave of, it's the fabric of our lives in so many ways. So mm-hmm. whatever that is for you, like when you're doing those mulabandha, um, whatever it is that you're you're dealing with when you're walking, that is your way of connecting with your own your own pranic flow and all the subtleties and everything that's going on outside of your body with the universe. You know, you're outside with your dogs, you're taking care of them, you're probably amongst some trees and some greenery, the sky, the air, the breeze, you hear the birds. And then you can feel part of something. Sometimes we get so lost in our in our thought um, thought minds, you know, and then we feel like we're in a bubble and we feel so separate yeah. and disconnected. And it doesn't feel very good. And that's when it feels like life is just too much. But if you can open up the space and like feel like this connection to a greater sense of being, there's some comfort in there. I think there is. Do you feel yeah. that? Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 just a wonderful irony that you could, I, you could be feel so far away from your practice and then find yourself doing it anyway. <laughs> it's like this is not the right circumstances for practice. I was told how to make that that happen. I was told it needed to happen on a sticky mat. I have a and there's like inside away from bugs on a you know clean floor and then it's like oh but actually I'm still just doing it. I, I'd love I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more. Um, what you said reminded me. I was just teaching a yoga retreat in Turkey, and we always start the morning with a little meditation, and then we do um, some pranayama, and we we also do some chanting. Not in that order specifically. <laughs> Actually, we do the chanting usually after the meditation, <laughs> but um, and we would do a hundred and eight. Um, repetitions of a different mantra uh, depends on sort of the retreat or what um, what sort of energy we're focusing on. And when I explain about mantra, I talk about how the Sanskrit syllables activate different energy channels and nadis in the in the body. Um, but I would just love to hear you explain the power of of mantra and even just, you know, very simple bija mantras or because there, I mean, there's just so much. I am by far not even (laughs) 
close to an expert or even a beginner in the in the realm of mantra um because i feel like there's just so there's so many there's you know how do people find what resonates with them you know i love the you know shri ram jai ram jai jai ram and and um, the repetition of a single mantra, I think, has a lot of energy and power as well. So I'd just love to hear you explain your experiences with the mantra and and how it works for each individual or on our, our systems, on our bodies, on our energy level. I Consciousness. Mean, I'm just not an expert on this <laughs> at all. I really am not. And... Um, it's so I vast, learned... right? <laughs> well, you know, it's actually mystical. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's there isn't really a formula mm. that says, you know, when you do this, it's going to activate this. As far as I know, there are yeah. people who know such things and, and will talk about them. Like, for example, Bija mantras, I have no idea. Like, you have to be initiated into the yeah. practice by specific teachers in that lineage. It's a very specific practice. Mm -hmm. And um, in India, there's a vast, you know, there's so many different yeah. lineages of chanting. It can be from the north, south, and if from the south, it's this sampradaya, it's that one. Like, it changes, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm saying, like, we're not born into those lineages. So we have to figure it out. We yeah. have to create, we have to create our own lineage like where are we coming from just dropped from the sky in this place and we're resonating with these practices but i feel very confident that the fact that so many of these teachers came to the west like starting with vivekananda like so many you know hundreds yeah, hundred years ago chicago and yes and um and then could the continual movement of westerners to the east to learn from eastern teachers and then a lot of the teachers coming here, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not like the color of your skin or the place where you're born that's going to determine the practice that you're going to mm -hmm. do. You're going to receive the teachings because you were drawn to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for me, for chanting, uh, chanting, I love all kinds of chanting. Like I listen to Gregorian chanting. I like to listen to, you know, different traditional folk chants from around the world. I do, I always have been interested in that. But in terms of what I like to do myself, it very much is from the Indian tradition. And I recognized that the type of chanting that really resonates for me and just feels like moves my cells around in a particular way, reallocates everything, is is veda chanting you know and yes. it's an old practice from the from the indian tradition the hindu tradition and i never thought i would be able to learn it because i didn't have a teacher it had a very it has a very specific rigor and structure yeah and it was actually during covid it was actually because of eddie oh, yeah. <laughs> eddie stern was doing some instagram live with this young woman from, yeah. from she lives in Belgium, she's Indian. And he was talking to her about you know, her practice. And she comes from a tradition from where I'm from in India, from Karnataka. Mm -hmm. And it's from the Mysore Sampradaya. And she speaks the same language that my family speaks. And I just felt so connected to her. And I loved that it was a woman. 
Yeah. Because most of the time, the ones who yeah. are doing and teaching these practices are men. Mm-hmm. And women are told that you can't do them. And then if you're not from a certain caste, you can't do them. You know, yeah. there's such a cultural overlay on these practices that actually in their purest form were available for everyone. Mm. It's hard to see that now because of the way in which society has changed things. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's caste and if you're from this caste, you can't do these practices. That's not how she teaches it. That's not how she teaches this. And they use, they refer back to the original Rigveda texts, which in themselves will say how the practices are to be done. And nowhere in there does it say that it's not available for other people. Hmm. You know, if they say that it's a brahmachari practice, brahmachari doesn't mean someone who's from a particular class who needs to renounce this and that. All it means is that you're going to dedicate yourself to this practice. And there are certain things like vegetarian diet is better, you know, things like that, that they say are helpful for for doing the practice. But it doesn't say that you can't do it if you don't right. follow those principles. Yeah. Okay? So I joined her class immediately and I've been studying with her since. Oh, I haven't met her. I've only seen her in person. And now, by some strange way the universe works, we're actually doing a retreat together in South India uh, at the end of November, where she's teaching Veda. It's a sound healing retreat. And I'll be leading some kirtan, and there are other people doing various things. So I'm trying to remember the original question. Okay, so about (laughs) how, how does mantra actually... I don't know how it works. (laughs) All that I know is that these are wisdom syllables that were transmitted to rishis or seers who were doing very intense tapasya at -hmm. some point in time Mm -hmm. when they could. And they received this wisdom in the form of these sounds. Mm-hmm. And you unlock them by listening, but also repeating. Mm-hmm. So it's like watering a seed. And mm-hmm. then from there blossoms the plant inside of your own heart. It's not something that someone can give you. Um, I mean, they can. There are yeah. beings that can do that. <laughs> but this is our way of doing what we need to do for ourselves, to find our way out of suffering. Because that's our human condition, is that we experience suffering and that there are causes for this suffering. But the Buddha also told us that there's a way out of the suffering and there is a particular way in which to do it. Mm -hmm. So, And then the practices all come from there. So he's now talking about, he's talking about a time later after these, the formation of the mantras that I'm talking about, which was during the Veda time thousands of years before. So my understanding of it is, is that the more you do it, the more you will understand in your own heart how it's working for you. Hmm. And it's not a flow chart. It's not necessarily even linear. It's yeah. not even something that you can evaluate where everybody is, if you do this, you're going to get there. If you do this, 
and it's different for each person yeah. right yeah so um i don't know how they work but what i do know is that i like doing them it's easier for me to chant mantra than to sit quietly and meditate mm-hmm. and in my experience with my guru the practices that she gave us were all chanting practices mm-hmm. she's you know she said she said maharaji never said to me to sit and meditate what they did say is that by doing these practices practices of prayer or chanting the state of meditation will arise on its own mm-hmm. but you have to do the practice yeah. and you have to create a discipline for yourself yeah. and you have to stay with it i mean you take on other things like learn expose yourself to other teachings mm-hmm. but stay with the practice and deepen your experience of that practice by continuing to repeat mm. and that's been my experience ever since i remembered chanting with chanting with krishnas i've just gone further and further down this path um of chanting kirtan which is just call and response repetition repetition of mantras like shri ram jay ram jay jay ram mm-hmm. but also longer form prayers um like the hanuman chalisa which is yeah. what you heard on flow of grace yeah yeah so my experience has been that it's given me first and foremost a refuge or a sanctuary or a place to go just because we all need that we have to be able to get out of our minds and find a place to go that's inside of us and these practices are a place in i mean they're outside of us but the moment you turn towards them you turn towards your own self mm-hmm. your own inner being it's so, it's mm. it's really fantastic um that kind of sense of of a uh, um a seed of evolving and awakening and growing of its own accord um with practice it, it um reminded me of something that happened to harmony and i um recently i'd really wanted to take her to chicago to see where i went to school and go to the art institute and see all these paintings and when i was in school there we had a free pass so we we would go every day you know and i would i I did. I went every day for hours to go in the Art Institute, and I knew every nook and cranny. I thought, and um, we were there, and we were, and I was so excited to show her. It was, and I wanted to talk and talk and talk and talk, and um, we got lost, and we took an elevator, and we took some odd elevator that I'd never been in before. I didn't even know why we were, and then we were suddenly we got out of the elevator, and there's a big plaque, and the plaque said. you are standing in the spot that swami vivekananda stood when he spoke to the assembly yeah. in 1899 or 1892 or whatever it was 93. and i was like i've never been in this spot before and i wouldn't have been without one you know reading uh raja yoga uh studying <laughs> yoga um uh, going to mysore meeting harmony um practicing yoga another 20 years and then bringing <laughs> harmony back to chicago and like and here is this how it's so an incredible kind of kismet that could happen you know you think you you think you've seen everything and then <laughs> you know like oh no Be- because of of this practice you see in a different way now 
Definitely. Yeah. I think that we, what we learn, what the practice does for us also, yes, you will have those kind of encounters. You know, you'll find yourself aligning with what the universe has to offer to you mm. much better. You know, you're just more open in a particular way. My experience with doing practice is that it's helped me to navigate the things that are coming to me in my life in a different way. Not in a place of necessarily, even though you're, many of the prayers are asking for help, like exam, for example, the Hanuman Chalisa, we're invoking the presence of Hanuman, talking about his wisdom, his courage, his um, compassion, his wide heart, his playfulness, his courage. Courage, courage is a very big thing. As we do that, though, we're asking him for his help. And at the yeah. same time, we're asking him to come and live inside of us. And all the great beings will say he is no other, he's no different than you. Mm -hmm. But we don't see that. We don't have that experience. And I don't know yeah. when we will. <laughs> but what I do know is that the more we do the practices, the more... I can see how that can be possible. And so little things like this will happen, like you had this thing happen to you at the mm -hmm. Art Institute. And that was like a signpost in a certain way, that you're turned in the right direction. It seems like that. that's probably what it felt, might have felt like for you. Mm. And I, mm. a lot of that happens. And you start to see that in other people, the mm. things that arise for you, and less and less it becomes a, well, I'm going to do things this way and more. Let's just see what happens when we allow, when we allow things to happen. What happens? How do we accept it? How do we let it move through us? And we become more mm. porous in a certain way. And um, let life move through us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think maybe some of our listeners don't know the lineage of that. I mean, you're sort of aligned with and in the flow of, but starting, I guess, with Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, and then moving down through Siddhama and also through Krishna Das and all the great Dasas, <laughs> Ram Das and Baba Hari Das and all of, you know, Nim Karoli Baba's sort of Western um, seeds that he planted and that really, I think, have changed or I guess transformed, really kind of brought these teachings to the West for, for Westerners and people born in the West. And then, and then you came to, um, like through Krishna Das, through meeting him and his kirtan, but then you also went back to India as well, right? And and kind of like moved into that that flow, into that lineage. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, kind of from home, exactly. like around back yeah. to yourself? I mean, I, which I is always kind of what we're talking this, about you know? too, I, like I, coming I, to I meet yourself again. I say that I have to again. come to New York to chant yeah. with a Jewish guy from Long Island to learn <laughs> the Hanuman Chalisa, you know? in, in it's, And 
<laughs> this is why when people talk to me about you know, yeah. cultural appropriation and things, I, I always preface any of this kind of discussion because there is cultural appropriation. But in the realm of spirituality and spiritual practice, these teachers came to share what they what they knew. Sri Ramakrishna sent Vivekananda out here. Mm-hmm. He sent him. So for me, my journey, you know, mm-hmm. I grew up in India where we're surrounded by these type of practices. So it's very much in my being. I also lived in Thailand as a young person, but I also lived in, in Canada and I went to Catholic schools. Yeah. And wherever there was a sacred space, I felt myself drawn to. I recognize that now yeah. without even really understanding that I might be on some kind of a particular path when I got older it just didn't even occur to me you know and it wasn't like that in our family we did a small puja at home every night before dinner light an incense light a lamp yeah you know and then we would eat dinner but it was never really discussed it was only as a teenager when I went to my grandfather's home mm-hmm. um, he was an engineer for the British government you know he was always busy fixing wells and doing all kinds of things at home. He was retired at the time that I I spent time with him. But he did have a harmonium (laughs) and he did chant. And he was a natural musician. He never, and it was was very devotional. He had a beautiful puja room. Our presiding deity was um, Saraswati and Sharada Devi from the Sringeri Mat, which you might know because you've been down in South India. So technically, that's my lineage right technically but who's to say and so here i am i show yeah. up at this yoga <laughs> class and i meet krishna das and i have a complete heart opening experience and i wanted what he had what he which he was talking about feeling this feeling of yeah. unconditional love and all this stuff with Maharaji. And I said, I want it. And of course, Maharaji wasn't alive anymore. You know, he left the body in 1973 and I'm meeting Krishnas in 1996. So I, I just, and I started, um, he introduced me to Ramdas. I didn't know about Ramdas. Now everybody knows Ramdas. I can't walk into any place. I go into the hardware store, I'm going to Lowe's and all the young people behind the counter know Ramdas. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So Maharaji picked his, he picked his route, you know, he figured out how it was that we were going to hear about divinity and, and, you know, consciousness and love that one love Sabek that he talked about all the time. So I had to meet Krishna Das in this way and be reminded of chanting, which I had experienced as a child and stopped doing for many years because it just wasn't part of our home life. And I went back, I went to Kenchi because I said, okay, I won't meet Maharaji mm-hmm. in this life, but let me just go to the place where you were. Something could happen. And it was then that he told me about Siddhima. Siddhima was not, Siddhima didn't mm-hmm. show herself to anybody. Yeah. And she didn't want to be talked about. She never had her picture taken. I mean, she wouldn't let her picture be shown, taken, and so on. So. But when I went, he, Krishnadas said to me, he said, if you're going to Kenchi, mm. then you should go at this time and you should meet Siddhima. Because he had spent time with her after Maharaji died. She kept 
the flame alive for all of Maharaji's devotees because she mm. was so fully surrendered to him that the stories of him, his presence was there in her. And so they needed mm. that, you know, they hung out with her and they felt that presence with her. For me, I developed a, a relationship of my own with her, which is not to say that, you know, everything Ma talked about was she say, I don't know anything, Maharaji would say mm. this. People who were with Maharaji, Maharaji would say, I don't know anything. I'm just a, I'm just a prasad wala baba. You know, <laughs> go ask Hanuman. You know, you ask Hanuman and Hanuman says, go and ask Ram. You know, so nobody wants to take credit, <laughs> which is fine. But when I met Sidima mm, that first time, yeah. I knew I that it. the place that I wanted to be was to go back and be with her as much as I could. So I did that for almost 20 mm. years. And so for me, she took that form that Maharaji mm, was for Krishna Das and for Ram Das and you know they see divinity mm -hmm. in that way which is not to say that I don't it's just for me she sits inside of him and my portal my doorway is with her and that remains even though yeah. I'm doing many other practices yeah. now I mean I'm not just doing yeah. what she asked me to do I went yeah. back to studying Veda and then I was telling mm -hmm. you about Garchan Rinpoche you know that it doesn't feel um, in any way that one mm -hmm. negates the other. It just helps deepen my practice even further to be with beings like mm -hmm. that. So that's yeah. been my journey, you know, being with Siddhima mm -hmm. and seeing her for all these years. I got married, I got divorced, I had a child, I raised a child, you know, in all these contact with her over the years. And so she's very much a part of my, my evolution, my soul evolution. And yeah. when she left the body, it doesn't feel like she left in any way yeah. because her presence, she kind of installed herself inside of me. Mm. And, you know, they yeah. say yeah. that, you know, the guru is, is no other than your own, the presence of divinity in your own heart. And so if we can all learn to trust that, that's, that's where the guru lives. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Can I, can I just ask, because our, our child is upstairs making a racket. I want to go up there and he... throttle him. <laughs> and I just want to know, yeah. what do you do? <laughs> you've <laughs> raised a child, you've been married, you've been divorced. And I'm, and very often I feel like, you know, <laughs> I could still be married to that other person if I could have just, you know, done my practice better. <laughs> but I just spent all my time absolutely furious. And I'm just wondering, like, and then, like, you have a child and, like, you spend all your time absolutely furious. Like, what, <laughs> no. how do you maintain the, you the, <laughs> the seer within the self? with all of these you know you know life you, happening all around this life happening all around and it's you know it's like oh you're I trying mean, you to experience, experience enlightenment there's like little flies right? and bugs uh, outside. you can just know <laughs> because you've had an experience of connection with that space you've had it at various points in your life you might not know particularly when 
But the very fact that you're drawn <laughs> towards practice, you already have an inner understanding and a longing for that space. So there in you, it just is there. But our karmas have made us be born into mm -hmm. this life where we're not renunciates. We are householders. This is what we do. Siddhima was a householder. So was Maharaji. They were both married. They mm -hmm. both had children. But their path in life was yeah. ultimately to leave that and move mm -hmm. into uh, a space of um, serving others as um, enlightened beings, you know. But they ha they went through that and they were able to see mm -hmm. that their purpose, it was not even like they made a decision. It just was what it was. I don't know. I can't pretend to understand what their life path was. I have no idea. You know, my, my daughter asked Siddhima once, she said, Ma, do you have any children? And she said, you're all my children. I mean, I know she has children and grandchildren, but she really saw the world that way, that we were all her children. And her family accepted that too mm -hmm. when she moved out of the family and, and was yeah. available for everyone. But for me, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have a chance if I don't do practice. I don't have a chance. We all get caught up in our stuff. My divorce, my, you know, I fell in love. I went mm -hmm. to Ma and, and I said, you know, I want to get married. And she said, okay, good, get married. And then I said, I want to get divorced. And she said, okay, let's find a way to do this in the best way. And um, when I had a child, you know, she said to me, she said, keep your child close while you're doing puja. Hmm. Let her experience that, like, you know, in vitro, in, in utero. And, and also, and so I did. She was always, you know, and, and after she <laughs> was born, you know, when I was nursing, I was chanting. When I took her out to play, we were chanting. She learned the Hanuman Chalisa when she was very young. I took her to the first place I took her after she was born. She was four and a half months old. I took her for, for Siddhima's darshan. Mm -hmm. I gave her all the vaccinations, everything that all the mothers didn't do. <laughs> I was like, I have to take her to India. She's mm -hmm. going to have to get vaccinated. And um, <laughs> yeah. I took her. And for me, that felt like <laughs> what I needed to do for her. <laughs> And, you know, she suffers the same anxieties that young children do these mm. days, too, despite the fact that she was. But she also has an awareness of this space, this space of presence, because she's experienced it mm. and she understands that you can connect with it by doing practice. And I don't recommend anything for her. She's a grown person. She does what she needs to do for herself. All I can do is do my practice and be there for her as her mother in the best way that I can. Mm -hmm. And that way she she can feel the love. She can feel mm -hmm. my commitment. Mm -hmm. She can feel my... Um, I might get upset about certain things, but she knows that I'm there for her. She knows I'm working on myself. You know, and, and she will do it in the way that she does it. And mm -hmm. so, but what I do know is that if we don't do practice all the time, when mm -hmm. things are bad, when things are good, we don't have that buffer that we need to, for us to be a witness to our lives and to see where it is 
that maybe we could do things differently. Otherwise, we're just reactive all the time. So the more practice that we do, mm. sure, we're going to have moments of reacting. But mm. you might recognize that those reactive moments are shorter or there might be less. You might not get carried away. You might have a moment like, oh, okay, let me try to look at this a different <laughs> way. Your perspective shifts. The eyes with which you see the world changes mm-hmm. in a way that's helpful to live your life in a better way. So, of course, you know, our kids are going to drive us crazy. Everything, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you can't, and you can't stop. Like, I, I have mm-hmm. so much anxiety about her well-being as Everything her mother. drives us crazy. And, you know, all the teachings are about, you know, Attachment yeah. is what's causing yeah. suffering for us. But I was, I'm a mother. I have a kid. I've got to do what I have to do for her. Yeah. And if it's my attachment to her that's going to um, yeah. propel whatever it is that I do for her, then so be it until it stops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that too, that idea that like yeah. it's all it's all the the fuel we need for our own like development and our own. So when we have the attachment mm-hmm. and we have that worry or concern, that's also the opportunity for us to like surrender and to open ourselves up to something greater and to trust and and so it it actually is like the medicine that we need in a way, even though, you know, there's an aspect of maybe our, our thoughts that think, oh, just be easier to live in a cave and do our spiritual practices all the time and not have to deal with all of, you know, these exactly. troublesome and, life and, things and, and attachments that we have. A clean morning. cave with air conditioning. I mean, <laughs> I mean. We, we can't even sit for half an right? hour in, our, in yeah. a quiet space go. in our bedroom <laughs> without thinking of all the million things that we have to do. Where, yeah. where is that going to go if we sit in a cave? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll be like <laughs> we'll be revamping the cave in no time. <laughs> I I went uh there was a in in my sutra on uh, Chamundi Hill there's a a fellow uh Swamiji and I really liked visiting with him. I don't know if and the cave swami the cave swami and i used to go and visit the cave swami and and then i was learning ayurvedic massage at one point and he had heard oh you're doing ayurvedic massage and then i got a call from a friend and it's like i need someone to do ayurvedic massage on on cave swami and like you're up i was like <laughs> i was like drive my little motor you know scooter up the chamundi hill to go see cave swami and i'm really kind of nervous and excited and i go in into the back cave and there was a tv in there with cnn on (laughs) i'm like what the hell is this (laughs) i'm doing my you know my in the front news in the back (laughs) puja in the front news in the back like a mullet and i'm like i'm just doing doing my ayurvedic massage and watching you you know wolf blitzer (laughs) (laughs) it's <laughs> the weirdest uh wolf blit no i've ne- wolf <laughs> no. no um cave swami i never thought about asking him i think i was too frightened to ask him about <laughs> why is there a tv in here and i was just like i just i don't know 
uh, what, there's a TV. Do, I don't know Swami, what like, else to do you say. Like to watch the news? <laughs> what could I have asked him? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. And so then, you know, we also yeah, don't exactly. know. I, I, I don't know and he would have said, yeah, I like to watch don't the news. Know <laughs> how these beings are communicating with the world. We don't know how it is that they're offering their prayers to the world. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And so if that is the way in which he chose to live his life, good. You know, we don't know how he was offering his precise. Is he still around? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He passed. But you know, he gave. Uh, he, he was two a years blessing ago, for you. Was it? it was very sad. Yeah, everybody really, went. You all yeah. went to see him. You learned something from him. You know, some babas would feed mm-hmm. people. Um, who knows? Maybe this baba was providing yeah. some kind of solace through the television. I mean, I can only imagine these. I really don't know. Like, it's too hard to judge these things. We don't know anything. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> if we can just, yeah. 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 He was like yeah. a Maharaji pr- fed Prasad people. Prasad Wallabha. Prasad Wallabha. Lots of Amas like that. <laughs> we don't know. We have no idea mm-hmm. what's going on. If we can just pay attention to doing our own yeah. practice, that's about the best yeah. we can do. And try just be good to other people. That's That's all we can do, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm curious. I think also many, you know, a lot of our listeners of course are dedicated Ashtanga yoga practitioners and so they have a very um uh, fixed idea of what practice means, Orthodox. right? That mm. like practice is an asana practice and um I've I've you know, that, that was part of my entryway into yoga practice, but I I actually was first interested in meditation practice and Buddhism, and then went into more asana and then studied with a pranayama guru, Sri Opitawari and, and really dived into pranayama as well. So, um, and like you, I've, I've always had a, a very, um, uh, expansive interest in in just spiritual practice and spiritual discipline and um, you know a degree in religious studies like that's that's what I love is just looking at religious traditions and and what like feeds people's soul and how they connect and different ways people connect um, but for someone who really is fixed on this this asana practice is like okay this is my spiritual practice which like you say, is wonderful because you get to dig that well deep and you're, you know what to do and you're not like lost at sea. What should I do today? <laughs> but for, you know, just, you know, as a little light, um, if someone were to see your practice and it doesn't obviously have to be your specific practice, but as someone who's taken on kirtan and chanting and bhajans as a spiritual discipline, what does yeah. that look so like? So again, you know, it's um, so as a daily spiritual um, practice. For me, I people ask me this question all the time because I, you know, I teach a lot of like chanting courses, and they the the point of of sharing <laughs> all these practices is really for each person yeah. to decide what is their own practice, like what is going to be good for them. 
And you have to determine that because if you're not, like I was saying, if you're not initiated into a particular mm-hmm. lineage where you've been told like, this is what you should do and you accept that as your practice, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But you, and you don't have that, then you have to create something for yourself, which yes. is why I say like, if you find a practice that resonates with you, you'll do it. So you want to include that into your, in your practice as much as possible. So for me, um, you know, I say to people, it's it varies, you know, uh, I used to translate for Siddhima. So when people would come to her, she people, and she'd say, okay, go and do, you know, make sure you do 11 Hanuman Chalisas today, or just go and do Bajarangban. And maybe you should, you know, different people had different instructions. And so one day I said, I said, Ma, you've never asked me to do anything particular. Mm-hmm. So she looked at me and she said, she said, oh, you're so busy. Just do what you can. So I didn't even know what to do that. So I, I had to figure out, like, what am I going to do? You know? And I, um, so I've, yeah. on some level, wow. I think I'm happy that she didn't ask me to do one thing in particular, because I think I just, wouldn't be able to do it or I don't know who knows different people do different things and it doesn't really matter but the the point is is that the more (laughs) I've done practice the more I've realized how important it is for me to do it and I keep getting those signals you know um, wherever I turn and so I (laughs) well I think it's very important to when you first wake up in the morning just let's not even worry about what your practice is. Let's just think about waking up in the morning before everything, before those clouds start already start floating through your mind about just even before that, let's just, just try to even be aware of that moment when you're (laughs) awakening from your sleep to just take a second there to just rest in that space for one minute and be grateful for the day that's ahead that is we're going to have the opportunity to do practice so let's even just start there by taking a few mm-hmm. breaths i try to do that in the morning because you know some nights we have we have anxious yeah. nights we can't sleep some nights you know or your partner who's with you is not is anxious and they're not you know so how mm-hmm. can we just mm-hmm. create this discipline this moment that we just take in the morning before we wake up and do before we reach for the phone okay reach for the phone and turn off the alarm put it back down don't 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 open your phone and just lie there for a minute and if you have (laughs) a mantra that you like try to maybe repeat that mantra if you have your mala try to do a round of your mala before you even get out of bed now these are all not all pakka practices because there are ways that, you know, they say you should get out of bed, you should shower. Like there's a lot of things you should do before you even do practice. But I feel like for us who live in this householder realm, right. it's good to even start <laughs> from a place where you can, you know. And yeah. uh, like for me, getting up in the morning and showering seemed almost impossible because I would get mm-hmm. out of bed. I had to make lunch for my daughter, then I have to drive her to school and there was just like one thing after you have to take the dogs out for a walk. Like there's all kinds of things that have to happen. So find a way to include your practice in your daily life. So 
I get up, I make tea. So while I'm doing tea, like, okay, let's, let me just try to listen to some chanting while I'm doing my tea. Or maybe do it myself, quietly. It's not that you have to do it out loud. It's not easy. Mm. Because you're already thinking about the 18 things you have to do yeah. in the day, and it's very difficult to do all that. But mm. if you can keep reminding yourself, that oh yes, when I'm in the kitchen, when we're in the kitchen in Kenchi, the prasad is being prepared, and the chai is being prepared by the cooks, and they're chanting while they're preparing the the chai. So why can't we try to incorporate a little bit of that? So I just keep trying to remind myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to tell you, and I, I have my practice of, you know, japa recitation, and I do Hanuman Chalisa repetition, and yeah. I try to do some Veda chanting every day. But it's yeah. the day runs away from me, and I just I just keep moving yeah. forward. And then when I get invitations mm-hmm. to talk to people like you, I take it as an opportunity to remember practice. Just remember practice. That's what we're doing here. That is practice itself. Remembering practice is practice mm-hmm. itself. And so it's yeah. a great thing that you're doing by having this conversation you're doing it yeah. for me you're doing yeah. it for yourselves and then hopefully the people who are listening it'll be a, a little bit of a reset a way to remember yeah totally mm. i love that's so what you said is so it, it brought up so much for me i love i also like yeah. have my alarm go off and then yeah. i hit the snooze and i just lie in bed and just <laughs> be with <laughs> like myself yeah before like it, facing the day you know just like i'm just okay well you're lucky it lasts for, like nine for at least nine more minutes before <laughs> yeah. the second alarm goes off yeah yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, that's how long this news is, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's breathing. nice. But I like I love this idea of just adding breathing. like some it's like a chanting, okay. some mantra, some with that something space, that's yeah, yeah that, breathing. Mm-hmm. I wish we were waking up at three in the mm-hmm. morning to do practice, which they say is is the Brahma Muhurat is like the, yeah. the auspicious time to do practice, but we're not. It's okay. Um, because we just finished binge mm-hmm. watching something else the night before and way too late into the yeah. night. Okay. That's right. And um, wild, whatever wild it is, it's always is something. Wild, wild country. So how to then, but when we rest in sleep, we're, we're you know, we're yes. given that blessing mm. to actually like fall into a different consciousness yeah. just for a little while. And when you're awakening mm. from your sleep, it's there. It's there just for a little few seconds. So just to feel that before then you move into your nine minutes of being in your space, Mm. which will include thinking of all the things that you have to do in the day. So it helps to like, if if you just Mm -hmm. set the intention of like thinking of mantra or thinking about the guru for just that moment and showing having this feeling of gratitude for, Mm -hmm. okay, this is my day. I get a chance to practice, whatever that practice is for you. And I get a chance to offer Mm -hmm. compassion to all beings. I get a chance to be kind to other people Mm -hmm. and alleviate someone else's suffering. Like maybe we can think about that. Yeah. 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 That's so, that's powerful. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if everyone woke up and just that's started the their day of, that way, that's the, that's the, the beauty of world. doing your prayers mm-hmm. so, for other people. Be amazing. Because if you're doing it for others, then <laughs> they're doing beautiful. it for you. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. And that's I, also like how I, I really yeah. sort of became very interested in chanting actually too, was when after I gave birth to my son and like, you just can't do the asana practice, <laughs> like, you know, for hours on end. And so Seven I was, I was good. just really yeah. looking at like, how can I connect and find this connection yeah. to the divine and feel like I'm in the you know like really in the flow of grace and mm-hmm. how can i do that during changing you their know, diaper when I'm, like you know feeding an infant and <laughs> changing their diaper exactly or like having to drive from one place to the next or doing all all of these new activities that were never a part of my day prior to <laughs> didn't to, have time for them then yeah prior to this but but it really, it was, it was like a saving, saving grace, actually, too. It really connected me deeply into my heart center and, and felt mm-hmm. like, oh, this is, this is like the asana of the heart. I don't actually need to do anything with my body. I can just, you know, and cultivate you, you, you this, this energy in this space right here, right now in the present. And you're helping somebody who's yeah, very powerful. Ill. You do that when you're in the hospital, praying for somebody having surgery. You do that when someone's leaving their body. Yeah. You know, it's a safe yeah. space. There's nothing wrong. Nothing can go wrong in that space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Things can only be better. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I just, I have a, just, I know that she has to get going. But I just have one, <laughs> one more question. Um, Maybe, maybe might have many more questions, Harmony. I don't know. <laughs> I think we could talk all night. <laughs> but um, I'm really, I'm really fascinated that that you that you said that uh, you had been divorced. And when I was really, I, I was thinking so much about it when I was in the throes of it, about you know seeing the Krishna ness of someone in someone, and knowing that 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 Krishna ness in them is the same Krishna ness. In me, and we are recognizing each other's Krishna, and yet I just can't stand this person anymore. And I have preference, and I have, and I, I'm making a choice, and I don't even, and I, and I don't even understand how, um, how it's so confusing to think that that um, any one choice could be better than than another. And yet, I do feel very strongly that I prefer harmony. And, and what's your question? My question is: is 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 we've all been through this, and yet we've all had we've all made a decision, something like this is like yeah, this. Like, how I, do you like what is reconcile preference? preference? Yeah, and like, well, this is really better. This is better for me, or even like maybe this other guru is better for me than this other guru. <laughs> I don't know. All I can say is you have to do what feels right for you and try to cause as little harm as you can. Divorces are hard. Divorces are hard. It's painful for you. It's painful for the other person. If you have children with that person, Mm -hmm. then it's hard on the child. 
So you try to, but it also could be hard on the child if you were staying in a marriage that wasn't wasn't working. Hmm. You know, you don't know what what kind of repercussions it would have on the child. So the assumption about yeah. getting divorced is that um, that it's some kind of a failure, you know. Um, but it doesn't in our day and age. It's it just isn't. You know, we just have to do it in the best way possible. And yeah, I mean, it would be great yeah. if we could see the Krishna-ness in everybody. We can't, but we can try to remember. And it doesn't mean that you have to stay mm. with them on, on the, mm. this, on the samsara level. It mm. doesn't mean that you have to stay with them. You can still have mm. good feelings for them. You can wish them well in your heart. It doesn't mean you have to live with them because that karmically could be done at that point. We, you know, we don't know. Hmm. We just have to try to do the best we can that whatever we're doing, we do it with the best of intentions, with the fullness of our heart. And we learn that as we get older. When you're younger, you just don't know things, you know. You're looking for happiness in places that you you didn't know um, that it's just yeah. going to give you the same result. I'm not saying that that's your choice. Um, you know, you choosing to get divorced and be with somebody else. But that's just the trajectory of your life. Do it in the best way possible. Wish that other person well and move on. Go on to the next thing. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you're not evolving if you make those choices. But it just it goes right back to the beginning of our conversation about choosing a particular uh, spiritual practice that, that calls to us, and it is also a, a choice yes, that interrupts mm -hmm. the, yeah. the lineage we might have been born into, or or another lineage that you chose too, right? Yeah. I mean, if I ask you the question, what what's your what's your answer? I do I do practice because I, I love to connect to that space, that inner space within and feel that just unconditional love, you know, consciousness, mm -hmm. peace. I don't so know. That's it's a space. We can that ineffable say, I think we kind can of say like with great sweetness. That everybody yeah. wants to be happy. Have experienced that feeling of well being. But we don't, not everybody mm -hmm. and none of us necessarily goes about it the right way mm -hmm. to get that. We're looking for it outside of ourselves. As we do more practice, we can find that space, mm -hmm. all the great beings say, inside yeah. of us. And the way to connect with that space is through practice. At least that's been my experience. And, you know, some people, uh, I don't know how it is for others, yeah. but it's def definitely been my experience mm -hmm. totally. and so you have to find a way to trust mm -hmm. in your own heart that you're going about you're traveling on your path in the right way for you and along the way you can bring everybody with you your family your partner your children your dogs and and share in that together it's all we can do and wait for grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait for grace. I love it.
<laughs> Wait for grace. Well, thank and just, you so much. I, I love that too. And just be in the love, you know, I, I, I love this, uh, this idea of just, you know, I think the, the Vedic mantras also have this idea of, of it being for everyone, for all of humanity. And it's, it's not just like, you're never asking for yourself. You're always asking for, for everyone. May we all, you know, be blessed. May we all grow together. May we all experience peace and happiness and freedom. And there's some, some deep wisdom to that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I say wait for grace, I really mean wait for us to be fully aware of the grace that we're surrounded with. We don't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. there are some people, there's a, a beautiful, I don't know where it comes from, but it's something like this where it says, you know, grace is raining up upon us all the time. We simply have to cup our hands. Mm-hmm. And the way we cup our hands is to make ourselves open to it. The way we do that is mm-hmm. through practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end on. <laughs> Thank Indeed. you. And if people want to join, I know you have this beautiful trip in India, and and you I think a you're a tiger conservationist. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, there's something to do with your your nonprofit organization for yeah conserving tigers and I... the wilderness and a whole other aspect of your your personal life and your career that we didn't talk about. It's okay. Um... <laughs> we didn't talk about the banking at all. <laughs> we don't need to talk about banking, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I have. I'm, I'm, I'm going to India uh, this fall. Uh, my daughter is now 21 years old, so I, I'm beginning to feel like some freedom of movement. Not that she required yes. any. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've been mm-hmm. touring, you know, even since she was young, and she stayed with her father uh, yeah. a lot of the time, but. I am going to India for uh, Devi Navaratri. I'm going to go to Kenchi and um, be there. Even though Siddhima is not there anymore, the festivities are going on all the time. And uh, I feel like I'd like to be there. So I will be there in Kenchi. I'm, I mean, I'm not really selling this as a trip in any way. Um, and I am going to the jungle. A lot of people are very interested in experiencing the wildlife of India. And so I will be spending a few days in a tiger reserve in the first week of November. So um, if anyone would mm-hmm. like to join, that is something that I do have to book for people. And then I will be leading, um, uh, as I was mentioning to you before, this yeah. sound healing retreat in a beautiful um, Ayurvedic village called Vaidyagram, which is in Tamil Nadu. Mm-hmm. And um, that information is all up on my website under the events. Yeah, okay. it's there. It's over. I think it's actually over Thanksgiving weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's, it is from the 22nd to the 28th of November. And yeah, mm-hmm. and so that information is all there. And there's a, you know, you, in addition to getting Ayurvedic treatments, which they will offer for those who sign up for the sound healing retreat, We'll be doing some Veda chanting with my teacher. We'll be singing Kirtan with me. There's another uh, Dr. Shubham Kulkarni who is teaching about Raga or the the Indian form of classical music as a healing mm-hmm. method. Um, there's a lot of things being offered in this retreat and Dr. Robert wow. Svoboda will be there and Dr. Claudia Welch will oh, be amazing. there. 
it's a really beautiful yeah. retreat. So, um, uh, yeah, I would love for people to sounds incredible. Yes. Yeah, wow. And we'll put it sounds in the so show amazing. notes so how people can yes, sign up yes, if they want course. to. That would be great. All of your Fabulous. Thank you. Websites and everything. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It was I, just such a blessing and honor to have you. I know and... you have to drive your daughter up north. Yeah. Well, I'm driving <laughs> her Keep to you... the Upper West Side, and I have to make my way up north. Yes. I'll be going to New Paltz. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just such a rich conversation. Thank it's you so really much. A, an honor. <laughs> thank, thank you both. Thank you. It's really a special place to talk about this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking There's a hard wind and the soil